Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Right now, I'm obviously pretty down because I, I wanted to go further in this event. You know, it's the earliest I've lost here for, I don't know, a long time. But he came up with great shots and, and played a really, really good match. You know, he played some really good stuff. But, you know, it happens. And, you know, I've had tough losses in my career in the past and, you know, come back from them. And this is a tough one. And, you know, I'm sure I'll come back okay from it. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Catherine Whitaker from Eurosport and David Law from BBC Radio 5 Live are here on day seven of the Australian Open. And as you heard, Andy Murray is not a very happy fellow just at the moment because he is out of the Australian Open. Catherine Whitaker and I come to you from a grass verge, a little bit like Henman Hill at Wimbledon, isn't it, Catherine? We're watching a big screen and it is final set, fifth set, of Roger Federer against Kei Nishikori at the moment. It is 4-1 to Federer. Now, everybody listening to this knows the result. We don't know the result because it's happening as we speak. So, Catherine, it's been a tumultuous day. First of all, Roger Federer is 4-1 up. It looks like he might make it. What do you think? Well, he really should have won that fourth set, I believe. He was the far better player in that fourth set. He just had one dreadful game and uh, Nishikori broke and, and that was that. But he has been... I know the scoreline looks like it's been really even and I'm concerned for Federer that should he get through this, the fact he sort of expended energy on an unnecessary fifth set uh, will be an issue. But he's basically been utterly awesome tonight. I, I think He was 4 love down. He was 5-1 down in in the opening set. I know he ended up losing it on the tie break, but that was extraordinary in itself. And then the subsequent two sets were incredible. And, I mean, as I say, it was great in the fourth set as well. My only caveat, my only footnote is that he's 35 and, and perhaps extra spare sets are not... <laughs> And not what he should be doing, but he's had six months off though, so he's nice. Yeah, and fresh. It, yeah, and it hasn't been that physical a match, frankly. I mean, I know that's not something you often say about Nishikori matches, but I think he'll be fine, and uh, he's been awesome. I don't think we've seen back-to-back Grand Slam performances as good as this from Roger Federer in years. I, we've seen individual performances better, as good and better as uh, than this, but back-to-back. This is something new. 
Because Nishikori is playing well here, isn't he? This is I mean, very interesting. 15.30 on Nishikori's serve as we come to you right here from the grass hill that Catherine has found with a big screen. There are, there are, there's hundreds of people. I mean, it's like 10.20, 10.30 in the evening. There are hundreds of people still sitting on this, uh, this grass hill here watching. I think it's new this year because they've opened this new bridge which connects Melbourne Park to the city. So I think the naming of this hill might be up for grabs. To, I mean, well, there's only one Aussie left in, isn't there? Tennis Podcast Hill. Tennis Podcast Hill. Is there an Aussie? Yes, Dasha Gavrilova's left in. So I, I guess maybe it's sort of temporarily hers. But yeah, I, I mean, Nish, poor Nishikori. I mean, this is supposedly as, as close to a home Grand Slam as he's going to get. This is the Grand Slam of Asia Pacific. And never has there been a more anti-Nishikori crowd. It's not anti-Nishikori, no, though. No, I, I mean, mean, but by default it is, because it, it's it is so... Fr- I mean, even I went into the media restaurant earlier and it, Roger Federer broke at the start of the second set. That's when that was. And the bloke that was serving the chicken <laughs> dropped his dropped his ladle to punch the air. <laughs> and then he quickly picked the ladle up and he said, we're supposed to be impartial back here, but I just can't with Federer. He does have an effect on people, doesn't he? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I was blown away actually watching in the commentary box towards the. I mean, obviously today has been a big Brit day for for us on BBC Radio Five Live. I was court level when Federer played one of those rallies, and what's beautiful about watching it court level is to watch the manipulation of the ball, the direction he's floating, the backhand slice cross court, and then down the line, and then he hits the big backhand cross court topspin. Then he ran around and walloped the forehand won the point and the the crowd reaction the uh, the 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 roar that the way they the spontaneous spontaneously everybody in the stadium stands to their feet and roars at the same time there's nothing else i don't think there is anything else quite like that in tennis maybe a partisan home crowd in a davis cup or at a grand slam for a particular player but it is an extraordinary sight he's got currently here as we sit 4-1 and I think 40-30 against him Nishikori is playing beautiful it's PlayStation Tennis Federer's popped that one into the corner so it's juice listen there's a bit listen there it's a round of applause from the grass verge spectators that are watching on the screen here Catherine today the world number one lost and he lost to a German player who a couple of years ago was ranked outside the, the top 1,000. We're going to hear from Misha Zverev uh, here on the Tennis Podcast in a little while. Spoke to him on BBC Radio 5 Live. We're going to reproduce that interview here. And it was swashbuckling serve and volley tennis, the likes of which we haven't seen at an important stage of a Grand Slam tournament. I don't think maybe the only, the only similar performances that I've seen like that would have been Sergei Stokowski serving and volleying Roger Federer off the centre court at Wimbledon in 2013. That's the sort of performance that he produced that day. This was Edberg-like. This was Rafter-like. This was Pat Cash came in our studio afterwards, and he said, he, 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 "Okay, you know, he likes Andy Murray, but he was glowing because he'd seen somebody play the sport like that." Well, so was Greg Rozeski in the Eurosport studio. You know, the reaction was supposed to be, "Oh goodness me, Defcon one, <laughs> Andy Murray's out," and Greg just said. It's just so wonderful to see someone play tennis like that. And he, and he is right, you know, Pat Cash is right. It is, Misha Zverev has run a, won a whole load of new fans today. It was, 
you know, I think it was yesterday I I uh, talked about, um, you know, how, how these sorts of conditions, the new balls perhaps favour the more compact player. How compact is his forehand? There's no take back at all. Although it's weird. That it's, it's, it's weird. You wouldn't I mean, coach it, but it is compact. I was giving him a really hard time in the first few games because I, I don't think I've seen a full match of Mishas Vera for the, before. And he was, and he was 3-1 down. Uh, a point for 4-1 for a double break for Murray and he didn't take that opportunity and you're looking at that forehand and you're thinking that forehand cannot stand up over the course of a match the the idea that he would beat Andy Murray over five sets right, it was four in the end wasn't it seemed, would have seemed ridiculous at that time it would have seemed more ridiculous two years ago when he was ranked outside the top 1,000 and uh, trying to get his pilot's licence and giving up on ever playing tennis again. And, and his body was just completely in bits, wasn't it? I mean, I was, re- I was reading uh, his, um, his list, his menu of injuries. He, he'd had wrist surgery, he'd had a herniated disc, he'd had cracked ribs. You know, this guy's had the lot. I mean, basically, yeah, we're going to hear from him, but it was... It's almost upsetting to read what's happened to the guy. I mean, I find the words herniated disc quite upsetting in themselves. Uh, It just sounds so horribly awful. Yeah, I mean, he is a fantastic story. He really is. He's, he's, you know, Venus Williams-like in terms of in terms of the story, perhaps even more so because he really, really did go away from tennis and come back. And the way he talks about how his younger brother remotivated him, I mean, today was one heck of an advert for Jez Green's skills as a physical trainer, wasn't it? Because uh, he's been working with both the Zverev brothers and, and, yes, he didn't have to go to five sets, but I have no doubt that had he had to go to five sets, he would have been just fine. And yeah. that, and, and and I think that was... And that, was a factor in the dynamic of, of the match because often in those sorts of matches the the Andy Murray the player the top seed will be thinking I'm playing rubbish this guy's playing great but if I can just make it go long you know, kind of what I think Nishikori was trying to do there in the fourth full set it's not quite panning out for him but thinking if I can just make it long if I can just hang in there long enough to make it a physical battle maybe I'll be okay and I don't think Andy Murray could do that in his mind today I think he knew that not that he'd lose the physical battle, but that wasn't a way to victory. That was a lovely line from Misha Zverev in his post-match press conference. He, he said, you know, m- my brother sort of convinced me to carry on and believe that I could keep doing it. And he's somebody that has that, that said to me, look, don't, don't try and change my mind with facts. I've made up my mind. <laughs> he's that kind of guy. He, he, he has the courage of his convictions. He has the youth. He has the exuberance. And, 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 and he... Misha said that 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 really just inspired me. I think it's a lovely story. Let's hear from Misha Zverev about how he did it. I definitely felt like um, I have a chance because my game is very different than from what normally he would probably prefer. And um, so, um, yeah, I really felt like I have a chance. I I will give it a try. And um, and the first, actually, the first 15, 20 minutes of the match were were very important because I felt like I could hang in with him. And um, we we started like some sort of a battle like very early on in the match and and that showed me that I can actually I have a chance today. I was reading about the route that the journey you've been on over the past three or four years, the, the number of injuries you've had. I mean, it, I felt terrible for you just reading what you went through. How close were you to stopping playing this sport, and 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 how have you ended up here? I mean, this is incredible. Yeah, well, uh, the fact that I ended up here, I have to say thank you to my brother and my whole family because they they pushed me and they. They made it possible. They believed in me more than I did probably at certain stages um, of my career. But, 
Yeah, I mean, the worst was definitely when I got the surgery done on my left wrist in 2014, and I was walking around with a cast for a couple of months, not not even no, not even able to hold my racket for for like a couple of seconds, and I started questioning, well, is, is that it? Is that the end of my career? Because you know, coming back from from surgery, you never know how the the wrist is going to feel again, the touch, and like if if you can really rely on your on your on your shots again and everything so but you know it was my brother who said look you can make it back to the top 100 you can play well again and um and i have to say thank you to him yeah, he was right wasn't he, yeah, he was right. just uh, just finally um your style of game i mean I, i've been speaking to some some legends backstage and i, I yeah. saw john McEnroe come up to you and 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 so forth it, it, it is different isn't it i mean you know did you did you believe that this style of tennis was able to keep you where you are because it's so unusual these days well with me it was kind of simple because that is the best tennis i can play like coming in and slicing a lot i knew that like playing from the base and like for example like my brother does is not really my thing so i knew that if if i have any chance of being successful it has to be with this kind of style that, that i'm playing right now so I didn't really have a choice. I didn't have a plan B. So I just try to stick to it and, and believe in my game as much as I can, even though, let's say, two weeks ago I got beat by Rafa 6-1, 6-1, and that was very discouraging, especially after off-season where I felt like, oh, you know, I'm playing well again. But somehow I just, you know, try to practice again, stay focused and just stay positive and see, look, hope that maybe I don't play Rafa again, like first one at the Australian Open, and it worked out okay. Well, he's a charming guy, isn't he? I mean, you know, he's somebody who I'd never met before, and it was a three-minute interview, and I, and I only got three three questions because the sheer number of people that wanted to speak to the guy, which is absolutely fair enough. That was a, an interview we did for BBC Radio Five Live. But he, he you know, and a thoroughly impressive human being, and a, and a, and yeah, I mean, from a British perspective, a disappointment not to have Andy Murray still in the tournament, but. I don't care. I, I, I mean, I, I sort of feel sorry for Andy. I know there's many people listening to this will be saying, oh, you know, we're gutted about Andy. But it was a joy to watch somebody play tennis like that. Absolutely. I, I feel the same. I mean, obviously, I'm here working for British Eurosport. You're here working for BBC Radio. You know, from a British perspective, it is a shame. But from a neutral's perspective, from a tennis fan's perspective, there is something joyful about such an open draw I can't remember the last time that really genuinely happened I mean yes okay at Wimbledon we saw Djokovic tumble out but but we haven't seen the top two men's seeds in a Grand Slam fallout before the quarterfinal stage since the French Open 2004 when Roger Federer and Andy Roddick uh, both lost early so this is sort of uncharted territory for recent tennis and uh, I'm looking at this big screen now and I'm wondering if the Federer-Nadal final might not be such a pipe dream. That's a long way off, though, Catherine. I mean, Federer now is 5-2 up as we come to you. Nishikori's hitting a lovely backhand volley cross-court, so he gets the hold of serve, most likely to take it uh, into another game which Federer would have to try to serve out anyway. You know the result, you lot, so I don't know why I'm telling you. Anyway, this is where what we're experiencing. You can't resist doing I know, commentary. I, I can't hear me. I tell you, I might burst into some in a minute. Uh, but looking above, we've got our uh, pterodactyl friends up above. Uh, Bats, as a, your cameraman friend called them, what's his name? Paddy. Paddy. His name's Paddy. Paddy reckons that there are bats flying above us, which means that I am going to hide. He's got all shy um, now. This is the first time in about 10 days that Paddy showed any signs of shyness, but he doesn't want shyness. He doesn't want to star in, in this tennis podcast. Oh dear, Eurosports 
star cameraman, Paddy, who has uh, suddenly gone all shy. Anyway, Catherine, let's hear, shall we, from the seven-time Grand Slam champion, Mats Verlander. Always fun to talk to Mats, part of the Eurosport team, of course, who's here, former world number one, and asked him all about what he thought of Andy Murray against Misha Zverev. He came up against a player that wouldn't allow Andy Murray to be at his best, and it's nearly impossible to play at your best when there's so many different looks and so many different situations that your opponent put you in. Anything from from sliced backhands, from defending, from chipping it hard down the middle coming in, to a forehand that's kind of pushed in front of your opponent. So it's... It's very difficult to prepare for a match like that because you don't play against players like that anymore. Is that a sign maybe of some things to come? That I mean, this is what you used to have to face all the time, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I, I think I'd be um, hard-pressed to not say, to say that Misha Sverev has better volleys than Stefan Edberg or Patrick Rafter or John McEnroe. I would, I would say that we most are going to agree that he doesn't. If it's the same, that's possible. He certainly doesn't have their head on his shoulders because he's 50 in the world. He might now. So give me Edberg and their style. So it's, it's a reminder that we're just not teaching the kids to play like that. Um, the best players in the world at the moment are not playing like that. And therefore, coaches out in the world and federations are thinking, no, you got to play like Djokovic and Murray and, and Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer is even very different, even though it's not that different. This is different. So, yeah, we have to remember that it goes in waves and you have to preserve the contrast of styles because that's exciting. Based on what you've seen from Andy Murray in his first slam as world number one, do you, do you think it weighed quite heavily? I think he was up against just somebody today that was on fire, that played really well. Um, that Misha is obviously inspired by what you know what his brother is is doing uh, on the court, and um, I think that Andy Murray, Andy Murray knew exactly what was coming at him. He just didn't know how to handle it today, and he obviously didn't play well. But um, also, that's not the point. Misha Sverev is trying to make Andy Murray play a bad match, and he succeeded. Uh, I imagine, the, I mean, any loss hurts at a slam, but I suppose when Djokovic is finally out of the way and you've never won the Australian Open at five finals and not won one, that, that adds a bit of salt. I think it's easy for Andy Murray most probably to think, oh, if I've just gotten by Misha Sverev, then I was going to win this tournament because he's the most... He's, the kind of player that you don't really want to play against. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and why was it? Why did it happen to me? Why was I so unlucky in the draw to get Misha Sverv in many ways? I think you can, you can make that point. But soon, I think, on the other hand, you can explain it by the fact that, well, it's, geez, it's just a different day. It's a different guy. I just didn't know what to do, and, and I was uncomfortable. Period. It doesn't take away from his confidence to, to be number one in the world, I don't think. And it probably shows, underlines just what these two, who have not got to the quarterfinals this time, how incredible it is what they have done, given the consistency that they've had over the years. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how consistent they have been. Um, and um, I think you can maybe argue that, uh, that Mari kept saying, focus, focus today. Um, no energy. I have no energy. Um, the other match, he said movement, maybe. Some of these things he's saying it, it sort of might be telling you he's a bit flat, maybe. And when you feel a little bit flat, then that's the pressure getting to you. And you just don't know how to, you don't want to deal with it. You're just hoping you're going to win matches. So maybe that pressure of being number one in the world. I think it's more that he hasn't won here. He's not going to have 
too many chances more. And um, unfortunately, ran into somebody who was just on fire. And this is anybody's now, isn't it? It is anybody's. I mean, you could even argue that, that uh, Mija Sverev can, uh, can win the tournament because of the style and the way he played. We can just see him now, and you've just given him a thumbs up, haven't you, with that? <laughs> yes, I have. I know Misha from the past. So I'm very excited for these guys, the journeymen that are coming out, and they're playing great, and they're working really hard. Uh, and um, it's tough to watch the best players in the world lose, but Grand Slam tennis, in the past and over the years, we've been kind of spoiled by having these four guys always winning everything, and suddenly we don't. And I think we should appreciate uh, the fact that tennis... It, it's there's serious depth. Just one final point. Roger Federer only won one slam after turning 30. Uh, both Djokovic and Murray are about to turn 30. Is, it, is that relevant or, or, or yeah. am I reading too much into that? No, I think it's very relevant. I think you, can, you have good days uh, and you have bad days when you get older. I think you, you are not going to... You, you can't... You don't have to call on anything when you're younger, when you're 20, 21, 22. It's just there naturally. You don't worry about the consequences. It's just the same as any sort of teenage mentality. You just play and you fight to the bitter end. Today it felt like Andy Murray was worrying about the consequences nearly in the first set. And that's why you start feeling you've no focus, no energy. Um, Djokovic as well, you feel like. So, so yes, it, it, does it mean more? I think it means more in a way, but you're trying. It's not logical when you're 22. You just throw everything at the guy and you try as hard and you do whatever you have to. Today, I think the mind gets in their way when you get older. So do you think this era of domination, complete domination from these four guys is probably about over now? It's... It's looking like it's not, it's not coming to an end by any means, but, but the more these losses that, that keep happening, the more that the rest of the locker room realize um, you just have to work as hard as those guys, and it, and it is possible. But you have to put in the work, and I think that uh, in the last couple of years, I think Murray um, and Novak Djokovic have proven to these other guys that you can deal with even the greatest, Roger Federer, and the second greatest, Rafa Nadal. You can deal with those two if you work as hard as them or even harder, and Murray proved it, Djokovic proved it, the rest of the locker room is going to realize that, well, you can deal with Andy and Novak too if you put it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. 
and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. And the work. Very interesting, isn't it, to hear Matt's talk about anything. But, but you know, I, I, I was very interested to know what he thought about the fact that here we are you know Roger Federer who we're watching at the moment try to wrap up victory against Kaylee Shikuri he's only won one Grand Slam since turning 30 Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic are about to turn 30 later this year how big a deal is that and he was clear I mean he thinks that is a big deal and whilst yes they will still have success um, and they, they'll probably win slams and so forth I think maybe we have got to accept that they're not going to win they're not going to share them out amongst themselves in the future. Who knows? No, I don't think... I think the stranglehold uh, is gone. The domination uh, won't be the same in, in a couple of years' time. But, you know, the, the sort of... I mean, for, for every bit of evidence there is against, uh, you know, winning Grand Slams in your 30s, there's Stan Wawrinka, who didn't really even become a Grand Slam contender until he was about 29. Still so, nobody picks him. Still, still. Well, the bookies have him as the favourite now, interestingly. Um, this is probably the earliest he's ever been a favourite for a Grand Slam. Uh, well, al- almost certainly the, the earliest. Um, so... I mean, in fact, he's not been the favourite going into any any of the finals that he's played and won. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Stan Wawrinka defies all that, but then he defies a lot of things. So um, He hasn't I got mean, as many miles yeah, on course, the clock, has he? Of course, but Mats Verlander's right. I'd love to, I'd love to as a 30-year-old, I'd love, to, <laughs> I'd love to, to try and defy Mats and say, uh, one's best is yet to come at 30, but maybe in tennis terms that's not the case. Well, I'm in my 40s, and I tell you, it's all still to come, uh, even even for me. Uh, Roger Federer is currently 5-3 up in the fifth set, 30-love, serving against Kane Ishikori, and people are leaning forward and stopped drinking because they want to watch the very last moments of Roger Federer. Uh, elsewhere today... Well, hold on a minute. What we do need to have a chat about is, is Andy Murray. What was going on with him today? Do you think that that was a subpar performance? I know Zverev was brilliant, but he is 50 in the world. Ooh, there's just been a Hawkeye overall and everybody's applauding. Everybody's delighted that there's been a Hawkeye overall in favour of Andy Murray, uh, uh, Roger Federer. I do think Andy Murray was subpar today. Um, I think he wasn't allowed to be much more than subpar. I mean, it's, as I always say when we analyse these sorts of matches, it's, it's very, very rare that somebody loses and you say, oh, they played their best. And they're not, match because point. you're never Hold allowed to play your best. When you Let's just see losing. match point, Catherine. So Roger Federer's got a lofted uh, are, return here. And here's uh, Roger Federer to smash it away. <laughs> Roger Federer is jumping up and down. Everybody here is that, applauding. Swiss fans over there is, with a Swiss flag are high-fiving to our left. That's a 
victory celebration from Federer. That, that's as animated a victory celebration after a fourth round victory as I've seen from him in recent times, for sure, for sure. Um, back to Andy Murray. Um, what was I do think he was subpar. Thirty six percent of second serve points won is not good. You know he's prided himself in the last year and a half, two years, on improving his second serve uh, and making that not the weakness it once was and I think today's stats will be really disappointing for him question for you David when you it's potentially a rhetorical one but when you're serving uh, when you are winning me that few points on your second serve so Andy Murray's stats and they were pretty steady throughout the match there weren't fluctuations really 36% second serve points won 68% first serve points won why not just hit two first serves isn't that the smart thing to do? You know, if if you were Mr. Moneyball, why why is that? Ne- I'm not saying you should always resort to that. So why didn't why Roger Federer hit two Why is that set? never something that we see apart from Nick Kyrgios? And I don't believe it's that strategic a thing from Nick Kyrgios. I think it's just he fancies hitting some aces. Don't know. That's a very good question, Catherine Whitaker. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Is the I mean, look for a start. They don't have the statistics out on the court. You do can they? feel you can feel when you're losing consistently the majority of your second serve points. But I think actually they do pretty much know. I think certainly somebody somebody as analytical as Andy Murray would. Know, I mean, he might not be able to say precisely thirty six percent, but I think he would have known out there. Yeah, I don't know the answer to, to that, Catherine. I mean, you know, I, th- I do Tweet think... Tweet that tennis podcast. Yeah, why do players hit two first serves if the second is getting absolutely mullered? That's what we want to know here on the Tennis Podcast, at Tennis Podcast. Um, Catherine, the, um, the, the loss will be a stinger, won't it, for Andy Murray? I don't think the loss for Dan Evans will sting quite as much. I think he played... Really quite well against Joe Wilfred Songer. Won the first set. I think that probably emptied his gas tank a little bit. But also, you saw the class of Joe Wilfred Songer in those second, third and fourth sets. He he just manhandled Evans and, and, and seemed to have so much time on the ball. Very, you know, I think we saw what a clever player he is. Not just powerful, but clever. That's exactly how Dan Evans put it. He said it was the strength that really overcame him today. And he was asked about how different it was playing Songa to playing Marin Cilic. You know, you sort of put them both in the same pigeonhole of big hitters, big servers, you know, big forehands. And he said it was actually a completely different prospect because Cilic is sort of tall and bigger hitter as he is. He said he doesn't just he doesn't put muscle on the ball he doesn't put his whole body into the ball in the way Songa does I think he felt bullied by Songa in the way that he didn't by Chilich. I do think he well more than think he said it himself that that fitness became an issue for him today I think his fitness within any given five set match is okay I think it's sustained fitness over a well, what's it been? At, at, well, including Sydney, you know, two-week period. That's the issue for him. And he did look as soon as he went that breakdown in the second set. He started to look pretty ragged, um, and he admitted that his his body was sore throughout the match today. So you just hope that he's got enough of a taste of these moments that he'll be motivated to go away and do the work necessary to to not have fitness 
be a dis- decisive factor in future matches like that. I, I think as well. I mean, he's just not used to slams, is he? He's not used to going to the fourth round of a slam, having all the euphoria of beating Bernard Tomic and then having to recover and do it all again a couple of days later. I was particularly amused at the fact that he got started the match with two advertising patches on his sleeve that people had hastily decided that they would stick their name on uh, Dan Evans and then at the end of the first set he changed his shirt and I don't know whether he just forgot but he got a plain white t-shirt <laughs> maybe he, they just sponsored him for a set he didn't he, well what he said in the press conference was that they didn't send him enough patches he was getting so sweaty he, and he only had th- uh, he only had three shirts with him uh, well, no, they only they only gave him three three patches, and uh, he was so sweaty he had to change his shirt more than three times. Yeah. So. What do they expect him to have his sewing kit out there? I don't I don't know. Maybe he'll have a deduction from the fee. I don't know. <laughs> he gave them both sponsors a big old plug in the press conference, though. So hopefully, he'll still get the cash. Hopefully, he'll pocket it. <laughs> I think he was actually asked about the prize money. It was a fantastic moment in the press conference. He was asked about... I think the phrasing of the question was, Dan, um, is the prize money from reaching a fourth round a... uh, How did he actually put it? Is it a big deal... (laughs) Is it is it hand does it come in handy, or um, or are you at the point in your career now, success wise, where it's not that big a deal? And he went, does it come in handy? <laughs> That's quite good, Catherine. I'm quite proud of you, actually. Of course, it, of course it comes in handy. It was great. 273 episodes, and that's the first time. And in fact, about 10 years of knowing Catherine, that's the first time I've ever heard her use a brummy accent. <laughs> and it was a special moment. Yeah, I might make that my ringtone. Uh, Catherine Whittaker here on the Tennis Podcast from Eurosport. We're also brought to you in association with the Telegraph. We should also say that. Um, so, what else has happened today, Catherine? Uh, Roger Federer is holding court, by the way, making everybody laugh because uh, everybody loves the like. Uh, it's like watching Gandhi give a speech, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody, usually after a match finishes, everyone will pour out just to get to the exits quickly, get home and to bed quickly. Everyone's got work tomorrow, but everyone is stood watching this interview on the screen. Every single person. They are indeed. Um, he's up against Misha Zverev next. Did you know that he, that, that he played Misha Zverev uh, a couple of years back and beat him 6-love, six 6-love six in 39 minutes? How many years back? Two. Yeah. <laughs> Could be could be ugly, but I, actually I it'll to be say, a lot of fun. Look, I don't want to underestimate Misha Zverev. I, I don't think I think he's experienced and mature enough that he's not going to lose because of any sort of letdown uh, from this big. For the reasons that you often see somebody lose following a big victory, like he's had today, I think he will lose because it's just a better match up for Federer than it is for Murray. Frankly, I mean Murray doesn't have the best records against left-handers relative to, to right-handers. You know, you think of Manorino, first round of the US Open a couple of years ago. You think of his match against Stepanek, French Open last year. Sort of, it was a bit of a combination of the two of, two of them, wasn't he? Sort of lefty, bit of slow balling, bit of slicing and dicing, a lot of coming to the net. Um, I think it's. I think it works better for Federer than it does for Murray. And I think Federer is dealing better the condi- with the conditions than Andy Murray was. I mean, the only other Rod Laver Arena day session match that Murray played was first round against Marchenko, and he struggled and talked a lot afterwards about how much he he really wasn't enjoying the conditions. So I think Federer will be okay. 
I think he'll be okay. Probably as well. We yeah. thought Murray would be okay yesterday, though. So we we barely even talked about it. We thought he'd be so okay. That is also true. Venus Williams won today. Was sensational yet again. She rolls on. Where's this going to end? Well, Marion Bartley thinks she might play the final against Serena. She said that on Eurosport today. She really does. I mean, a lot of tennis still to be played. But, I mean, again, similar to, to watching Federer just now, her post-match interview on court, it was just some lovely moments, lovely quotes. She said, I was just born to play this sport. Why would I stop? Stop asking me about when I'm going to retire. I, you know, this is what I was born to do, and I'm still doing it well. So why wouldn't I be doing it? Yeah, she's... She's amazing. She beat Mona Bartel 6-3-7-5. Anastasia Pavlichenkova coming th- quietly through the draw into the quarterfinals beats Svetlana Kuznetsova, who must have been on fumes after the Jankovic win. And hey, Garbini Magarutha, just as I said, she's into the quarterfinals. I'm feeling smug. She is looking good, I have to say. She's looking good. She's in a good patch of the draw. Um... Yeah, you could be onto something, David. I'm definitely onto something. Stan Wawrinka won in straight sets as well. Tomorrow, now, what's going to happen tomorrow? Uh, we've got uh, Serena Williams up against Barbara Stritzova in the She'll first match of the day. She'll be fine. Good player, Stritzova. Yeah. Slice and dice. Serena's it. a better player. Yeah, well, obviously, but Andy Murray's theoretically a better player than, than Misha Zverev. Okay. Uh, well. I'll tell you what, uh, Stritzova plays a little bit like... Roberta Zverev. Oh, I thought you were going to say Roberta Ooh, Vinci. Well, her too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think she'd be fine, like, 6-love, six 6-1, six fine. I just think she'll win. Foregone conclusion? <laughs> no, all right, fine. Uh, then Dominic team up against mm, yeah. Davin Goffin. Uh, sound effects come from Catherine. She's not happy with that remark from me. Uh, Dominic team up against David Goffin, second... Repeat uh, of the match they played at the French Open, which was a match for the top ten, which team won. Goffin's winning this. Yeah, I think Goffin's winning this too. Pliskova against Gavrilova in the evening session. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Ooh, it dear. really is a good one. I mean, a, a, such a contrast of styles. Similar for Gavrilova. I mean, Pliskova's better, obviously, but she's played Naomi Brody first round, so that's a pretty good warm-up for playing I think Pliskova wins. I think too. I think Pliskova is in a different stratosphere now. I think a year ago, Gavrilova might have got well, that. She almost, but Pliskova is... almost lost to Ostapenko. Pliskova. She Very did, close. but she's a, at the risk of quoting Greg Zedsky, she's a, a player that finds a way now. You quoted him. Gail Monfils against Rafael Nadal in the evening session. I'm going Nadal. I'm going Nadal too. Okay, and then we've got uh, Johanna Conta, second up on the Margaret Court Arena against Ekaterina Makarova. I'm going Conta. I'm going Conta. I, I think that'll be a, a, an easier victory than it was last year when it was 8-6 in the third. Can we just end on Grigor Dimitrov? We didn't get a chance to put him into oh. our show last night because we, we finished before before he finished. He was 2am. I mean, he'd only ever beaten Gasquet once out of six goes. He was fantastic last night. He was awesome. He was absolutely awesome. I wasn't expecting that for one second and not because Dimitrov wasn't playing well, but that's one of those head-to-heads that I look at and I go... There have been matches that they've played where Dimitrov has been playing brilliantly and somehow it, it, somehow Gasquet still wins because it's just a match-up that works for Gasquet. So I was sort of going against my instinct, saying I thought Gasquet was winning. I was trying to go with you know what I saw on paper, which was this really bizarre head-to-head. And there was something different about Dimitrov last night. I know the circumstances were a bit strange um, with it going on court at about midnight and all the rest of it. But I tell you what, that was possibly Federer against Burdick aside. 
that was the best single performance from a man I've seen this tournament. I, if he if he played that way every match, he could win this tournament for sure. But I don't think that's a particularly groundbreaking thing to say. I think anybody that watched that match would think that it's it's the fact that he's Grigor Dimitrov. It's the fact that the draw's opening up for him, and he's perhaps going to start thinking about that and realising it now. And and you don't know which Grigor Dimitrov's going to show up. If it's the Grigor Dimitrov of last night, who knows? Who knows for him this tournament? No, I do think he's got a chance. I'm not picking him to reach the final, but I really do think he's got a chance. I think he, I think him against Raonic, I would probably pick Dimitrov. Believe it or not, just having based on what I've seen so far, Nadal, I'm not so sure. Nadal, I think is is playing really well. I just, it's just so difficult to say because, as you say, you can't, you don't feel like you can rely on Grigor at this stage. He hasn't given any evidence for one to be able to rely on. Angelique Kerb is about to play Coco Vanderwey. We'll be bringing you that in tomorrow's show. Catherine, lovely to talk to you. We're outside and uh, people are leaving now in their droves. It's because Federer's not on the screen anymore, isn't it? Indeed, he's gone and uh, everybody else is going too. Lovely to talk to all of you as well. This is the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We're going to be back every single day of the Australian Open and have a good one. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you.